How's the uh, bolognese? The bolognese is absolutely top class. Is it? What's the secret? Did you make it? I absolutely made it. But a big What's bowl, your uh, secret? Day. Uh, but I went to Aldi and I couldn't didn't have a pound coin to get a uh, to get a trolley, so I had to go to two baskets. So it's one basket of bolognese stuff and breakfast. So I've, I'm just eating bolognese and breakfast at the moment. But the secret, the secret is time. Time. Let it brew. Not not the herb. Or eat it. Concept. Eat it out of date. Oh, the herb. Or not the herb. Not the herb. Oh. As in, you brown all the meat Hello. and stuff and you do your bits and then you put it in the oven. You leave it on low heat for like three hours. It's excellent. Also, Sorry about that, boys. The insects are being sh- Can you tell me where we're at? Because well, I'm just can you discussing hear me, right? the uh, secret to Bolognese. Yeah. I was sat in the cabinet room and I was like, who's the meal meat? The big man, the fridge is open. He's flown like a gazelle. What can Chris Gale do? He goes low. Oh, you right. You've got a man beside you. He's got it. England have won the World Cup by the barest of margins. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Wrong and I'm Bertie Moores. He's Satch Agarwal. Hello. And he's Ollie Gordon. Hi, Bertie. And on a day when the world's gaze is affixed to a globally significant election, I'm sat behind a microphone in my bedroom discussing a T20 tournament whilst tucking into a delightful bolognese, a true I was there moment in time for me. <laughs> Do you think it'll be quite as memorable for you two? I think so, Bertie. I think uh, when my grandkids ask me what I did that election day, I, I think I'll tell them that I uh, sat by myself in my room talking to two other blokes who are sat by themselves in their room talking about uh, blokes and women hitting balls with sticks. Well, Ollie, well I think it's especially also impressive. They're sat by themselves in their rooms in hotels <laughs> across the world. Ollie, it very much does look like your uh, your dress to be like an alt right podcaster decrying the uh, quality of the election result today behind your microphone with your the Wolf Academy <laughs> uh, cap on, which could be some sort of uh, supplement for Infowars. Uh, I think what you've inadvertently done there is uh, a spot of advertising for a South Yorkshire-based hockey coaching company. So uh, thank you very much for that, and, and shout out to the Wolf Academy, and thank you for for my hat. So I really appreciate it. So, so they're not branching out into uh, into alt-right supplements. Not yet, I don't think that could be the next business venture if the uh, the hockey's not going well and the lockdown remains. But as far as I'm aware. That's uh, that's not the case yet. But the IPL League, uh, we're all wrapped up. And uh, what drama it's sort of given us over the past week. An extraordinary final week in the uh, in the race for the top four. Arguably even more exciting than when Crouchy scored that goal against Man City uh, to, uh, to secure fourth place. Ultimately, the, uh, the Sunrisers Hyderabad are the side that sneaks into the playoff spot. But what a ridiculous and level playing field this final week of the league's been, Satch. It's mad, isn't it? We, about a week ago, we were discussing who's going to get into the IPL and there are about a million and one permutations about who could have got in. Uh, look, I mean, you, you just need to have a quick look at the league table to see how cramped it is. The bottom bottom team were Rajasthan in the end, um, who finished on 12 points. We thought for all money it was going to be CSK who finished bottom, but Rajasthan managed to reduce their net run rates to take the wooden spoon. Um, but I think that's the highest highest um, wooden spoon total points total ever in the history of the IPL, 12 points which is, is again just shows how how close the league league stage has been, been upset right from the start all the way to the end. 
And yeah, I, I don't think any of us got our predictions correct for who would have made the playoffs. Or who, I don't think any of us predicted Sunrisers would have got that fourth place, apart from maybe Will Stevens, who's wrote an article on, on the Sunrisers <laughs> the, on, on the website. Yeah, he's, he's been very, uh, very keen on what he calls the uh, Sun Chasers uh, hyperlads. Uh, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> one victory. Two points separating third from eighth. It's been an extraordinarily tight race. But in the case of the Sunrisers, two very, very impressive wins to uh, to close out the uh, the regular season campaign. And like you said, you didn't quite expect the Sunrisers to come back that well. But domineering win against admittedly uh, already qualified Mumbai Indians, but the best team in the league, basically a. Uh, a 10 wicket win against them 151 for none within just over 17 overs and also a comfortable win against RCB five wicket win in 14 overs uh, have they got a lot of momentum heading into the playoffs now with those sorts of results definitely do definitely do um, I'd, I'd, I'd just like to point out that I earlier on in the in the tournament described Sunrise's Hydra lads as a limp team um, and they've gone and made the playoffs so that's possibly the start and end of my pundit career. Um, but yeah, they've got they have definitely got momentum again. I've said this a few times in previous podcasts about other teams where I've said, oh, they, you know, they've had a rocky start and they've they seem to be playing well. They seem to have clicked as a team. And again, I think that's what happens over a long IPL season, which is something we'll discuss later. You, you do get opportunities for teams to have peaks and troughs in form, and sometimes it is really about clicking at the right time. You know, we saw Delhi really smashed at the start of the tournament and then tailed off really towards the end. Punjab had their regular, uh, obligatory mid-season coming together and then bottled it again. And Sunrise is now, at the end, finished the season off really strongly. Sats, do you think it is a matter of uh, sides gaining or losing form at the right or wrong time, depending on who you support? Or is it you know having the ability to, to win when it matters or, or not sort of bottle it at the, big, at the big moments? Yeah, I think it's a combination of both. And, you know... We have seen through the IPL a recurring theme of whether teams have held their nerve or bottled it or not. But I'd, I would say, I, I, I would argue that whether you bottle a game or not or hold your composure is actually an aspect of whether you're in good form or not. But yeah, look, Sunrise have held their nerve in the last few games. Look at Punjab as a perfect example. There's probably three or four games this season that they should have won. And, you know, but they badly bottled it. And if, if, if they'd won those games, they're looking, looking at outside the tables, being they could have finished second. You know, the competitive competitiveness of this league has really shown just how important it is to when you've got a sort of middling squad that it's important to win those games that you're in. You know, you're in the contest, you've got to close them out. And, you know, there are teams there, Punjab, Rajasthan, who've, who've KKR as well, who've lost out because, because they haven't been able to hold their nerve. I think in the case of uh, Sunrisers, you look at you look at the side and and they are on sort of paper in some ways a fairly average side. But when you have players like Warner and Rashid who pretty consistently always turn up, that's something which is sort of I find I think is probably very very important for the side. Like Rashid Khan is such an astonishingly consistent bowler that it provides such a a tent pole around which other players can then come into the fray. Like Sandeep Sharma has, was really good in the last two games, as with Jason Holder. And I think that players like Warner and, and Rashid can act as like a big conduit for the performances of other players when it comes to the crunch. 
definitely. Um, you, you mentioned four players there, and I'd actually like to speak about each of them in turn. Um, I mean, Rashid Khan, we, we spoke about last week, actually, so uh, we know what he can do. And the nature of the pitch is slowing down, as we talked about, has really obviously helped his cause as a spinner. Um, and actually, I think that narrative of how the pitches have changed in character throughout the tournament is a big one in when discussion teams forms. David Warner is arguably the IPL's batting greatest of all time. Um, it's something I've discussed with you lads before. I saw a brilliant stat before that David Warner is actually the highest scoring batsman in the IPL since 2014. And that's despite the fact he missed a whole season due to the ban. It's it's a, you know it's an incredible stat. He scored 500 runs in each of his last five seasons. Um, and he's clicked into form right at the end of this season, right at the right time, which has helped, helped Sunrises a lot. Uh, Sandeep Shah was took nine wickets in the last four matches. Again, you know, he's peaked just at the right time. And, you know, with them playing RCB in the next game, he's got the he's got uh, the wood on Coley. Actually, he's just missed Coley more times than anybody else than anybody else in the IPL. So that could be an interesting matchup as well. You know, RCB might struggle against against him and their their bowling lineup. And Jason Holder's been a great little addition at the end. Um, I think he came in for Johnny Bairstow, which is great to see Johnny Bairstow get dropped. Um <laughs> But again, he's contributed with the ball and and you know he's had a cameo with the bat. I think he scored like 26 off 10 balls in one of the matches the other day to seal the game. I think it was against RCB actually where they chased it down in 14 overs. So yeah, you know, combination of things. You know, Natharajan's played really well in, in a few of the recent games as well. Yeah, they just seem to have got a little bit more balance across, the, across their 11 and a few players peaking at the right time. Again, I think it's extraordinary with this season how between the places of third and eighth is one victory. And that one victory could have, in a way, come off a complete toss of a coin. It might be that you've won or lost a Super over and and that dictates what happens in the league. And understandably so, if you, if you win at the crunch times, you win at the crunch times, if you lose, you lose. But I think the only team which really seems to have stood out compared to all the others they're the best they're the best T20 side in the world and just coming into looking at a sort of preview of size that in terms of what we can expect from the playoffs Mumbai Indians are by far the best side in this division why is that? I mean why is that? that's, that's a difficult question um, other than saying the obvious that they've got fantastic players um, you know it's not a case of like They've got more money than everyone else because everyone's salary capped. You know, they, they've just recruited well. They've, they, you know, maybe they've got some sort of data analytics going on behind the scenes that finding good matchups or good players to, to add to the squad. But you know, look, 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 look at their eleven going from start to finish. They've got power-packed batsmen all the way down. Roshan, even though he's not had a great tournament, Quinton de Kock's been fantastic. Young Indian players in Ishan Kishan. Then you've got uh, the likes of Kurnal Pandya, Hardik Pandya, fantastic. Kyron Pollard, who's a T20, great. And then the fast bowling, you've got Trent Bolt, Jasper Bumra. You know, what more can you want really from, from, from a side? It's, we, we spoke about the Delhi Capitals as well in that they've, you know, Matt Crackle talked about how they might have cracked the T20 code or the IPL code, sorry, and having four gun Indian batsmen at the top. Um, unfortunately, you know, there's a bit of a loss of form in the Delhi Capitals towards the end and they also look like a great side. But yeah, I mean, Mumbai, they're there about every single year and, uh, you can't really argue with their squad. If you just pick one squad in the tournament, you'd pick theirs. Satch, how much do you think um, this tournament being the, the UAE sort of does prove that Mumbai Indians are by far and away the best team in the competition and in the history of the competition? You know, before you might have had uh, Chennai Super Kings, for example, doing well and that being 
one's home advantage. But that being completely taken away from sides, how much does this prove that, that Mumbai Indians are, are the true the IPL? Yeah, it's a very good point, actually. Um, I mean, Mumbai Indians have won the tournament more than anyone else. So, you know, that's definitely a good argument for saying the best IPL side in history. Chennai would have lay claim to that by virtue of being in so many finals and being the most consistent. But like you said, and we, like we've said in the past, and, you know, as such, have picked their squad very much around that home advantage. Um, so, yeah, with the, with the tournament being in the UAE, like you said, it's leveled the playing field a bit. And, you know, there's no home advantage. Every team is playing on the you know, tiny little ground, other grounds favouring pace bowlers. So I think what it's shown is that Mumbai have just got the most rounded T20 squad in the tournament and hence they've been able to perform in all conditions. I think, you know, if you went through every squad in the IPL or every squad in world T20 cricket, you'd probably say Mumbai Indians are the most well-rounded squad. They've got pace bowling, they've got spin, they've got young Indian batsmen who can, you know, tick, tick the scoreboard over and play that sort of game. They've got high, you know, high-powered hitting in Kyron Pollard, Rohit Sharma when he wants to turn up. Quinton de Kock as well and Hardik Pandya. You've got everything. And actually, you know, there's one name I want to mention that I forgot to mention before in Indian batsman. He's not that young anymore, but Surya Kumar Yadav is just having a fantastic tournament once again. Consistent, decent scores, 30, 40s. You know, he's, he's had a pair of 70s, I think, as well, this tournament recently. Criticisms maybe of him in the last few tournaments has been strike rate is a shade too low and the early 130s but he's picked that up this tournament as well and he's um, there was a great picture of him actually in the game against RCB where he gave Coley a stare down just after he wasn't picked for the Australia T20 uh, the Australia tour and you know yeah he's, he's got a he's definitely made a real real case for himself getting into the India's national T20 side and I think he's been instrumental in Mumbai's Mumbai's success so far this tournament So obviously they've not won the tournament yet I mean we're only talking about them as the best side because they do look look a little bit far and away. I mean, them slightly with the, with the Capitals away from the rest of the pack. Uh, but Mumbai Indians are taking on Delhi Capitals in is it, in, is it called the qualifier? And the other ones the eliminator. I think this is the qualifier. Yes, qualifier. Uh, the one. Indians have done the double over the Capitals this season. Do we expect them to be favourites going into the game, given sort of two fairly comfortable uh, victories in the league? What we what we sort of on the lookout for? Yeah, I mean, they're definitely going to be favourites. They're going to be favourites against, favorites against anyone you play against. Um, notwithstanding that, you know, big loss they had against Sunrisers where they'd already qualified and locked up first place. So probably their heads were, they, they had, their minds were in the playoffs already in that game. You know, what we're looking for really is, again, what the, the nature of the pitch, is it, how slow is it going to be? How how conducive to spin is it going to be? Delhi have got good spinners. Axel Patel's played really well. Ravi Ashwin's, top class um, and it, you know it remains to be seen whether Mumbai's batsmen can overcome that I'd say Mumbai's spin is probably spin department is probably not as good as Delhi's and you could argue that some of the with Delhi having a really strong core of Indian batsmen up at the top of the order they might be more well equipped, equipped to play the spin and you know the type of players they've got people like Shreya Sire who's not necessarily a big hitter who's, he's someone who can you know, nerdle the ball around and keep the scoreboard taken over in difficult circumstances. That could be potentially be a narrative to watch out for, but I do do fancy Mumbai overall in that game. Interesting uh, preview of the match. Uh, so talking about how 
Darwin, Rahani and Ayer have a particularly good record in T20 cricket against Bumrah, but Pant, Stoinis and Patel don't particularly. So I don't suppose it's good for good for Mumbai Indians that Bolt has been doing so well in the power play in general that they can then orient that to have him face the top order and then hopefully bring Bumrah in for the matchups, which should potentially give him the advantage. Yeah, definitely. I think, like I said, like I mentioned before, I think matchups have probably been one of Mumbai's strengths. I think there's probably a lot of work going on behind the scenes there at Mumbai in identifying and then executing on these matchups. And like like you've just mentioned there with Bolton Bumer, what a luxury it is to have two world-class pace bowlers who you can, you know, shift around the innings at will to depending on who you want to play them against, uh, you know, any, any side in the world to kill for that. You know, Bumrah can do it all, we've seen, but he is particularly effective at the death. And, you know, given that his matchups are quite strong against Pant and Stoinis and the like, it makes sense for them to probably hold him back at the death and let Bolt do his work in the power play. Satch, who out of the other three sides uh, can you see being in the final against Mumbai Indians is, if they are to, to get there, then who can, who can you see going through? I mean, Mumbai aren't even um, in the final yet. Um, well, I mean... Uh, so I, f- I probably take a step back, but I do fancy Mumbai to get there. I fancy them to win their qualifier against Delhi. And that would mean Delhi would then play the winner of uh, Sunrise and RCB to see who goes into the final. I mean, Sunrise, in the, in the most recent match, they've absolutely smashed RCB in 14 overs, like I said before. Do I see them winning again? I think if Warner can continue his form, if Rashid Khan can do what Rashid Khan does... And uh, they, you know they get a few star performances here and there from the Indian teamers. I definitely think they can do a number on on, on RCB. Remains to be seen how uh, Virakoli's been in. He's not seemed to have found his rhythm so far this tournament. And we have seen him in the past, or I've seen him in the past, definitely play stellar innings on really really slow pitches. And you know, with his running between the wickets, really drag out decent score. I think he will be instrumental in the game um, from a batting point of view. And Abe de Villiers is, is there as, as always, and you know we know what he can do. But yeah, I think a lot of it depends on how RCB's batting lineup turn up. You've got Josh Philippi at the top now, who came in for Adam Finch. He wasn't performing. David Padikal's played well, but he's had a little bit of a go slow of late. So if I, if if Sunrise can put the choke on RCB's batting, I think they're well in the game and they could could win that one. And then you know out of them and Delhi Capitals. I don't know. I think on paper Delhi Capitals a better team, but it is a toss-up. I'm I'm probably not able to call that one. So if if you're going to pressure me for a for a pick to play Mumbai in the final, on potentially on current form, I'm inclined to say Sunrisers just because they've they've got the propensity to do stuff like that. Well, you can be absolutely sure it'll be RCB in the final then. Obviously, right. Given the nature of my prediction so far this tournament, it, you know, it's, it could be an RCB, Delhi Capitals. Well, no, it can't actually, but, <laughs> you know, Edit could happen. Edit could happen. No, it could, it could be RCB, yeah, Delhi it Capitals. Could, it, could, yeah, it, yeah. Could, it could, it could. Right, we'll be straight back with you right after this. Yasir Shah, his last ball of the series. Got him! Why did he do that? Unbelievable! Oh, uh, no little, no little chance for me to give a closing note on Kings Eleven. <laughs> right, you can do if you want. Uh, two minutes, uh, ninety seconds on Kings Eleven. Go. This is one of the predictions I didn't get right this tournament. Actually, Kings Eleven. I said uh, said last week that after this stellar run of five consecutive wins, we're probably going to bottle it now that it's in our hands. And Julie, they did. <laughs> lost their uh, last two games. 
quite, in quite convincing fashion. But yeah, yeah, same old story in it. All I can say is I hope maybe next year we can do the job. We've got a good core group of players, Dave, because retain Rahul, retain Mayan Kogaval at the top, Mohamed Shami as well. And I, I would I'd quite like to retain Nick Puran and then, you know, rebuild around those four. I think we're building for the twenty thirty IPL. We are indeed, indeed. Mm. And, you know, Kyle Rahul's not actually that old, so he can he can be a like Donny S captain for the next ten years for us. You know, I did just find like it I've said before, so he's a sexy man in an orange cap. So, so I did just find it really see. unusual that the Kings Eleven just have a thing against CSK that, despite the fact that CSK had a poor tournament, apart from this, they got battered by nine wickets and ten wickets respectively against them both. They're weird bogeyman of the tournament. <laughs> They always have been for Kings Eleven ever since I started watching the IPL in the first season, 2008, where I think they'd done That's the double over the start season and knocked us out in the semis. Um, and then the season after, they we lost our last game against them in the league stage to qualify. They, they have literally been our bogey team every single season. Every season, I've I've, I've thought, oh, for God's sake, not King, not Chennai doing us over again. I don't know what it is. It's a, it must be a mental thing, or Dhoni just clearly knows what to do against Kings Eleven. Right, let's have a few questions from our from our loyal audience, for our loyal Indian cricket analyst at Sachin Agarwal. We say analyst; it's just that he's uh, he's the main one who knows about Indian cricket out of the uh, out of the three of us. So this is spilling the chai. Why will India always be better than England? How do I get Virat to father my kids? Why are Punjab so bad? Spilling the chai with Sach. Right, we've been sent in the question of our age, and this is from uh, from Bhakti in Essex. Hi, Asat. Do you think that Virat is fit, or is it just his beard? I think he is fit. I have discussed this with many people before, so nobody's going to be surprised at that. But yeah, the beard definitely helps. I think the beard helps a lot of men. I think it definitely helps him. Matt Cracknell shared a uh, picture of Vera in his early days back in probably back in 2008 he's not on our chat and it wasn't the most flattering picture of the man I've got to say um, he's aged well I think that Phillips Wamblade is doing doing wonders for his uh, beard mm. definition and you know he's, he's actually a trendsetter the, you know the number of players in the Indies setup who've, who've copied his Kohli beard look Jadeja being one of them Rahul being another he's definitely the style icon of the Indian team and I for one love him you think he styles his own beard do you? Well, maybe not now lockdown's over, but over lockdown, I definitely did watch his Instagram uh, video of him showing how he styles his beard with his Philips one blade. Really? And I'd have I, assumed that it was a, a barber's job, actually. It probably is. It probably is in normal circumstances. But mm. um, he, he seemed to do a pretty good job of it himself when I watched it, mm. and I did watch it intently. I was on the back of that fairly convinced to buy a Philips one blade myself. I think it's uh, a combination of... Maybe the cut, the cut that he goes for, but also I don't know if you've seen that video of him talking to Guardiola. He has a, a proper sort of chin stroking action going on, which I assume he, he does quite a lot because it, it cultivates the beard towards the bottom, yeah, to almost like a point. I've not seen I've not seen that video. I still need to watch it, but yeah, well, yeah, it's, well it worked. is perfect. It is perfectly shaped for that chin, chin stroking action. Mm, um, yeah, exactly. Probably, you know. If he does that enough every day, probably massages it into that point, like you say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah maybe he's just... But no, it is, it's, it's, it's a very well-defined beard. Do you think his beard is just influenced by Big Razor then? Because you keep talking about the Phil, it's one blade, <laughs> and Big Razor is potentially Sponsorship. the one that's got far more can. interest in, in keeping that beard hot, relevant, defined. 
is it not just them at work rather than Virat? Maybe he'd go back to being clean shaven if it wasn't for the big bucks. Maybe it is. Maybe maybe it is the Phillips one blade doing all the work, actually, not not Virat. But like Ollie said, I think the likelihood is he probably gets that styled by the barbers in his local mm. uh, local district, wherever he lives. Probably Mumbai these days because he's married to a Bollywood actress. Mumbai scissors. Yeah, I suspect is what it'll be called. You can one day dream of such a beard patch if you uh, if you leave your dissertation uh, dissertation facial hair to, uh, uh, to flourish. Yeah, lads, come on. I, I mean, my my beard's been looking quite good though the last last few weeks. I uh, I actually just uh, trimmed it the other day. Did you use a one blade? Have uh, try and grow it out to make it look one blade, like no, I need to invest in one. <laughs> can you try and grow it out to make it look like Virat for the next episode? Uh, mm. I mean, if you do the next episode in three months' time, then I'll try and be mm. best, but... <laughs> and second question in from Chris in Solihull. Quite straightforward. Should the IPL be expanded to 10 teams from the current eight? It's something I've thought about in the past. I mean, something that's been done in the past. We've had a 10-team IPL and it didn't work at that point. I thought it was too long and it was too <laughs> diluted in talent. Only then? <laughs> Let's save that question for next week, Ollie. <laughs> yeah, it, it was it was too long and it, it was a bit of a contrived sort of fixture list. They had, I think every team played every other team at least once and then they played, I think it was five of the teams twice, so or four of the teams twice. So I think they ended up having 16 games. I, I, I can't remember the exact numbers, but it, it, it didn't. I didn't quite like it. I think if they're going to expand to 10 teams, there's one thing they have to do that is increase the overseas players. Personally, I, th- I think... Currently, the number of starting Indian players in, across the eight teams is 56 players. If you say seven Indian players per 11 over eight teams, that's 56. So if you're going to increase that to 10 teams, I think you probably have to let there be five overseas players at least so that there's you know 60 Indian players then in the starting 11s. That will alleviate some of the dilution of talent. There's definitely scope, uh, there's definitely demand for a 10-team IPL. I mean, you know, it's only going to bring in more money into the tournament. They'll be able to sell tickets and shirts and media coverage and whatnot but personally I would keep it at eight for the purposes of competition and you know quality of matches and and spectacle of the tournament I'm interested from the perspective that if they were introduced to introduce new teams to the IPL are there any parts of India obviously it's a vast country with with a lot of a lot of big cities in it are there any parts of India which have been really pushing for an IPL franchise or feel that they're currently left out of the tournament like who would be likely to be wanting to join the tournament if it were to expand well the first team on the list is definitely the Gujarat Lions um, I mean they've they've already been in the IPL Gujarat is it's a huge you know region of, it's, a, it's a big region in India geographically but also culturally and you know massive Gujarati you know population across the world uh, they would definitely be the first team to go in um, so there is a there is an IPL team shaped hole in Gujarat at the moment as for the next one I mean you know geographically a lot of a lot of the places are covered you know really at the extreme south of the country Chennai garner a lot of support there and I don't think um, adding an IPL team there will make that much difference to be honest like Co- Kochi had a team back in the day but wasn't that popular um, you know Bangalore have got a team Mumbai have got a team Bengal is covered by Kolkata um, the north of India is covered by Rajasthan and then Punjab who are again a big cultural sort of part of India and Delhi so I mean Pune with the other team that, that, that came in for a couple of seasons you know could go back there I would I'd, I'd, I'd be tempted to say you know, potentially somewhere really, really pure central India, but um, I think that that tenth that tenth spot for a franchise is kind of up in the air. To be honest, I think 
the current the current eight or nine, if you include the Gujarat lines, have got basically all bases covered. You know, Hyderabad as well, which is a big part. I don't, I don't think there's anywhere that's particularly massively crying out for the team. Apart from uh, apart from potentially Lahore, Islamabad, and Karachi, but that's a that's a question for another day in a Pan Asian Super League. Oh, wouldn't we love to see that? Eh? Well, we can but dream. So I just got to head off. So we'll see you a little bit later. Cheers, babe. Now the scouse has gone. Go back to talking about English cricket. Come on. So the England squad for their tour to uh, South Africa, the ODI and T20 tour, has been released. Now, it's been a sort of unusual year for ODI cricket, I sort of think, that England have played against the games against Australia and had this vast training squad for a long period of time. But there's been there's been no ODI Cup to look at other potential call-ups. It's, uh, it's not a particularly interesting set of players that's really been picked in, in sort of terms of who's come in, who's gone out, is it? No, I agree. I don't think it's a massive surprise um, that there aren't, you know, any players from picked out the blue. A little bit maybe surprised Banton's not in the... The initial squad is only in the reserve squad, and I'm surprised that there's not maybe a leggy in the reserve squad. Parkinson, obviously, having spent the last, so what is it, two years uh, running on water for the England team, has, has now been omitted. Because if there is an issue with Rashid, and we know what Rashid's shoulders like, then there's not much cover for him. But other than Parkinson's omission and Banton's omission from the main squad, it's it's pretty much what we expect. And you know, no one can really argue that no one else put their their name in the hat and, and really shone in the ODI series that hasn't been picked in, in this for this uh, series. I think in terms of the players who who have sort of, who did, who did turn up in particular, I mean, uh, I think the obvious one that's obviously still in the squad that was potentially on the verge of, of not getting in, and we don't know whether he'll be in the starting 11, is Sam Billings. He had he had such an impressive uh, summer against, uh, against Ireland and then Australia. Uh, is he sort of uh, looking to really cement that position in the sort of uh, middle order for England? Yeah, definitely. I think because there's so much depth uh, in England's middle order, he just wasn't favoured for whatever reason. And time and time again, he's got a score and then maybe been dropped through no fault of his own, but he really is starting to cement that position now. Um, I think I'd seen a a stat as well on uh, on Twitter saying that in ODI cricket, he has a a 24% 24% of his balls that he faces against spin are dot balls, which is, you know, really, really low. And in those middle overs, when you are just looking to make sure that you're, you're turning over the strike and, and face as few dot balls as possible, that is a really important stat. And to go with that is his power hitting that we that we know he is capable of. So, yeah, he really has uh, sort of forced that door or wide open and, and is starting to cement his spot now. And this will be another big opportunity for him to, to carry on doing that with a, not only the ODI uh, World Cup coming off in, you know, whatever is it, two years ago, now, but um, but there's opportunities in in the T20 side as well. So it's both both white ball uh, sides. He'll he'll be looking to to put his name firmly in the hat of. It's still very much transition. Well, not a transition period, but a sort of uh, slightly unusual time for for cricket in general. And and teams won't be thinking too far ahead in terms of in terms of how their sides have necessarily got on over the summer. But maybe a couple of signs for England that. The side isn't quite as dominant as it as it was maybe eighteen months ago against Australia. They lost the series two one in the ODI series, won their game quite narrowly, and lost two quite narrowly. But 
I don't seem to quite have the impression that the side, particularly when it does lack the uh, the test players, obviously there's a couple of test players back in for England, does quite have the box office factor that it potentially used to. Yeah, I completely agree with that, but it's almost hard. There's no, there's very few metrics to, to, uh, to measure that by, but I do feel that it's not the same side that it, it was. I think if you look man for man in that World Cup winning side, you could make a strong case that each player was almost the best, if not one of the best in the world at doing the job they do. Whereas that's not necessarily the case. You know, you've lost someone like Liam Plunkett, who is so good and renowned for for doing his job in the middle overs. And we're not sure we quite replaced what he does uh, in that spot, for instance. Um, you know, you're relying on Roy and Bairstow at the top of the order to, to carry on their form that we saw from... A couple of years ago, obviously, there's the argument that Hale should be picked in this uh, ODI side, given that what he could offer, but his off-field, off-field troubles prevent that. Um, but yeah, I do feel there's a general feeling, albeit that's not particularly uh, analytic, that this isn't maybe the side that it was two years ago, and there is a little bit of a transition. Would you say the same? Yeah, I sort of feel that I just look, if if I'm just looking through the lists of names on this. Uh, on this squad list, obviously, there's, there's there's no Ben Stokes in that squad list. For, for, for mm. uh, I imagine he's just been given a little bit more time away from the England squad. But I don't particularly get the impression that a lot of the players have really kicked on in any way, apart for, apart from potentially someone like Billings. I, I don't feel like there's much X factor being gained from a lot of the players now. Owen Morgan, top top player, but he will. He will get older over time. <laughs> it's going to happen. Mm. Moeen Ali has been, he's not been a shadow of himself in, in ODI cricket. He's uh, obviously focusing on white ball more, much more than he is uh, than he is red ball. But I don't think he's quite got the shine that he used to. Bairstow has been dropped from the test side and is still an excellent ODI player, but I don't think he's necessarily better than he was. Joss Butler, I don't know. I'm just not entirely convinced that potentially that he is going to become an even better player than what he mm. currently is. Whilst you then go through the list of players and players like Jason Roy, it's had quite a poor year in the past 12 months. And I also don't slightly get the impression that the likes of Curran, Gregory, Stone, Topley, there's even Wood, very injury prone. I don't get the quite impression that these are players who are ready to immediately step into the fore and, and take up the mantle of the mantles of those players that you said did a job. But the thing is with England in, in ODIs, what's been so impressive with impressive with them is the mindset of the team that there's very much a sense mm. of they're building towards something as a squad all the time. And I think as a team, obviously England have had some great players on paper, but in a way their strength over the past five years hasn't necessarily been the players they've had on paper. It's how they've found roles for players and also built in a philosophy of a new attacking cricket. And it remains to be seen whether they can continue to build that, particularly when there's a slight cycle through of players in the squad. Yeah, I agree. And I suppose there is a slight dichotomy of whether... You know, you send a team out who are capable of winning each series and picking a team that are capable of winning each series or whether you are building towards a World Cup. I know you've used the, um, or you've spoken about before, building our hatred of almost of building our test side towards every Ashes series every two years or every away Ashes series every four years. But my fear is that, you know, the, the maybe the Ollie Stones, the Reese Topleys are probably not going to feature in our 
ODI World Cup side in a few years, you'd think the likes of Mahmood or Parkinson or Banton probably would. So at what stage do you start to blood those players into a first team? And what stage do you go, actually, we need to win this series because it's important you know, for world ranking points or for you know the health of the health of the of ODI cricket generally. It's, it is a tough one to, to decide, but I, I do feel they've missed a trick slightly, maybe not picking those players who are going to step into the, the rather large shoes left by uh, those players who won the World Cup last year. So in the ODI squads, there's no, there's no Sam Curran, there's no uh, Ben Stokes, and there's no Joffre Archer, and those obviously are star players, which, which, which aren't, in that, aren't in that squad uh, for the ODIs, and those shouldn't be forgotten about. But those three are all in the uh, all in the T Twenty international squad uh, for the for the three match series against South Africa. This is a sort of unusual period for the T Twenty side because they were expecting to go into uh, into basically what would now be a sort of would it be would we be in the middle of a T Twenty World Cup or we would have come to the end of it? But either way, there's now more time for England to work out what their best T20 squad is. Who do you expect to be the players in this T20 squad who are really looking to find their niche and that the coaches will be thinking, these are the things that we need to be looking at, potentially optimise and bring into the team and get to know our ideal eleven. Yeah, I don't think it will change too much. Just there's not going to be too much opportunity to, for players to put their um, name in the hat. Obviously, Billings has, has staked to claim as a white ball player. But other than that, I can't imagine there'll be too many um, inclusions or too many people pushing um, at the door to play. I find uh, Dawid Balan's inclusion or not inclusion in England side very difficult one because he's technically the number one ranked T20 batsman in the world at the minute. But I don't know whether you can justify his inclusion ahead of Roy, Bairstow and uh, Butler at the top of the order. So, but, yeah, it's a difficult one of, of where you sort of... I think there's probably going to be one, maybe two players who are not picked and given 11 who is a little bit surprised. But I don't think anyone, for instance, like a Lewis Gregory, is going to be plucked from left field to be included in the T20 World Cup when it does happen in a year's time or, or whenever it's going to going to take place even while we're on the topic actually i think it's strange and this is going slightly uh on a slight tangent i think it's strange that livingston's in the t in the one day squad and not the t20 squad given that he seemed to have excelled in in t20 in recent years that's almost where he's made his name i know you and as, as a lancashire fan will have a particularly partisan um point of view on this but don't you think that's a, a little bit of a bizarre one even if he's not pushing his case to be in the t20 world cup side yeah, I, I'm sort of undecided on Livingston because he's because he's a he's a very explosive batsman and he's a he's a useful spinner at times, potentially not at the international level, but at times he he's good in those middle overs for for Lancashire. I don't think he's been quite as good in this uh, in the blast this season as some Lancashire fans would have hoped. I don't think he really went in and picked up the mantle in the fashion that some mm. some fans hoped, given that there weren't as many. Uh, overseas players in the length side. I think what is more surprising is the fact that Matt Parkinson has not been picked in this squad. Now, I, I almost sort of take it as a as an indicator of the lack of likelihood that Parkinson's going to be involved in the uh, in the in the T Twenty World Cup. Now, mm. this is a broader point that we've discussed quite a bit that Parkinson's been around the England squad for a long period of time. There may be various reasons as to why he's not featured. 
but at the same time, he's he's up there in the in the top few bowlers in the blast. He he, he puts a lot of revs in the ball, but doesn't bowl it particularly quickly. Now, in terms of the pace on the ball, there's obvi- there's obvi- there is obviously concern as to whether that will translate to the top level to to the international game. But I think what is a shame is that they're not willing to sort of take a formal punt on him and see mm. if it will actually work. And I think in, in the case of T20, it's his best format. He takes an awful lot of wickets in the blast. And I think it's a real shame that he's not sort of a more central part of the discussion in terms of whether he should play because he is an excellent T20 player. He's a little bit unorthodox, but every single level he's played at, he's done very, very well. Yeah, that's true. I think he's not particularly in the mould of T20 leg spinners at the minute, which is basically uh, Rashid, Adil Rashid or Rashid Khan, who bowl sort of quickly and not only take wickets, but contain at the same time. And that's a very uh, valuable skill set to have, to be limiting the number of runs you're going for and to dismiss key batsmen at the same time. I think the risk that Parkinson poses when he does bowl a bit slower and he does toss it up a little bit more, when he's bowling against the best players in the world that he is that he is going to go the distance and he is going to get um, parked and maybe not, and it's not worth taking the risk of him taking wicket or sorry, it's not worth the risk of him going for those runs in the pursuit of wickets when it's potentially more important. But like you look at when Parkinson has played international cricket and his last, uh, his last ODI for England, he didn't, he didn't feature this summer at all in the ODIs or T20s. Last time he played a T20 match was for was against New Zealand, and it was almost exactly a year ago when he made his debut on the fifth of November. And then he played the next game, and that was the last time he played. Now, I think it is a shame that they're not just giving him a go in that stance. Obviously, Lancashire fan, I vaguely know the guy as well. I would like to see him in the side, but. It, it it does just seem strange that in a fairly innocuous innocuous tour to South Africa, why you wouldn't take him and then have a go with him? Because surely that's the time to do it. No, yeah, you make a good point. And again, I refer to Rashid and his fragility potentially with his injury. Um, and if he does injure himself in the lead up to the 12, uh, T20 World Cup, then we are definitely limited for for options. It's not a like for like replacement for Ian Parkinson just for their just because they're both leg spinners. And I think England would probably rather go with containing off spinners for the reasons that I suggested before. But I do agree. If you're going to um, try and blood a leg spinner, is blood. Uh, blood a leg spin it in these innocuous as you put it series that don't really matter too much probably would be the best opportunity to do so but i just don't feel like any of england's eggs are, are in his basket at the minute so there's no point for them there i'm speaking from with an ecb hat on now or an england cricket hat on is why why would they uh sort of give him a, a punt when they're not when he's not in their plans yeah, it'll definitely be an interesting one to see how it how it how it does in his case pan out, but also just generally which players that are coming through in the ODI sides and in the T twenty sides, it might be Saqib Mahmood, it might be it might be other balls, but which ones they do eventually settle on in the various various formats. And I don't know, it'll be it'll be another interesting series in terms of you put England as the favourites and uh, and we'll see what happens because uh, the last time England faced South Africa in the, in uh, in T twenties one days, I think the T twenty series last winter was one was arguably the best T twenty series I ever watched. Mm. So it'd be good fun at the very least. 
give a quick <laughs> shout out to uh, sort of the women's games that's going ahead now. Obviously, the women's big bash have kicked off and the uh, the T20 challenge over out in India. Who are a player, well, I say out in India, traditionally out in India now playing in UAE. I think, you know, it's easy to get sucked into the volume of thinking that these games are important for quote unquote women's growth. But um, for the same reason that, that these franchise tournaments are important for men equally they're important for women and to to ensure that their stage is staged is of, of utmost importance and see England players out in the uh big bash especially doing well i think heather knight's top of uh top of the run scoring and wicket taking charts at, at the minute which is uh fantastic and catherine brunt and nat siver are both performing well out there help their sides um to to a victory today so uh fantastic to see those uh, those tournaments going ahead with everything that's going on in the world Fantastic. Yeah, I think that's all we've got time for today. Ollie, thank you very much for, for joining me and uh, and thank you, listener, for, for tuning in for, for 40, 45 minutes of your time. We do very much appreciate uh, all the everyone who, who listens to this show. Please keep sending your emails in, keep sending your questions in for Satch or any suggestions you might have for stuff you want us to talk about. And if you can, please do leave a like, uh, leave a review, sorry, on uh, on iTunes, Spotify or Anchor. It really does go a long way in, uh, in building the profile of the show. And thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next week. Goodbye.